We're good to start. Good morning from Main Street, Sheridan, Wyoming. It's Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, and my guest today is one of my favorite people. I know I say that a lot, but Devin really is one of my favorite people. Devin Riley is here. Um, As we talk on this conversation, we'll get into all the stuff he does. Um, He's got his own podcast as well, Blazing Trails podcast. Um, rodeo guy, hunter, and um, among other things. And Devin, you know, this is a last minute deal, which is great. This is how I want this podcast to be. Like I've always, I keep saying this at the beginning of the podcast. I don't want this thing to become a job. It should be fun. And Devin sent me a text last night on Saturday evening and said, Hey, I'm in town in Sheridan. Let's do a podcast. So we said, Hey, seven o'clock in the morning, Carrick, who's our engineer, he, uh, he works part-time in gas and oil, so he's a week-on, week-off here. That's why we do the podcast every other week. We'll probably load two or three of these things. But he was gracious enough to come in this morning and, and join us at 7 a.m. as he's getting ready to take off for the Dakotas to, to do gas and oil stuff. So, uh, Devin, welcome to the podcast. I have done your podcast. It's nice to have you here. And if you guys haven't heard his podcast again, it's Blazing Trails Podcast, just like that. Just search it on Instagram or search Devin Riley, um, and, and you'll you know search it on Spotify, iTunes, across the board. And his subject matter gets into some of the stuff we'll talk about today that I'm not real familiar with. I keep talking about hunting. Um, Sam Davis was on here a few weeks back. Sam and Devin have worked together in the past at a at a local ranch. Um, and and both are guides both are hunters and and i'm not a big hunter so we're going to talk a little bit about hunting today but let's start off devin how are you buddy i'm good man thanks for having me on the show really appreciate it thanks for being on and i'll, I'll we'll both be slamming some coffee where you're probably already done with yours no this stuff's uh, delicious it's it's good i i love starting my day off with a good cup of coffee and it just it boots it gets you ready to go heck yeah uh, i'm i'm becoming more of a coffee connoisseur every day as we roast more I'm really falling in love with certain types of coffee. Uh, very particular about it. Uh, what's been going on with you? The last time we talked, you were rodeoing, you were rocking and rolling. Um, your hunting season was coming up. Um, and uh, I know you've been out hunting a lot. What's been going on with you? Man, a lot of life changes here in the last probably year, year and a half for me. Uh, last year, I rodeoed full time. I hit close to 70, 80 rodeos. Uh, ended up in the top 50 in the world. And then had some, uh, some health issues come up and I had to, you know, recalculate and make a, a life decision and decided to take a step away from rodeo, something that I did for 10 years, made some of the best friends of my life. Uh, I got to see probably, I don't know, maybe 90% of the United States and, and some of Canada and just got tons of great stories and tons of great friends from the experience. And, you know, I, uh, worked for an electrician company for about six months and it just, uh, man, it kind of took me down to like a little bit of a dark place. Like yeah. it wasn't, I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I wasn't happy. I wasn't doing things just weren't, I didn't, I wasn't living the life I wanted to live, put it that way. And, you know, lucky for me, I've got a, a great gal in the back of my corner. Uh, my girlfriend is just a big blessing in my life. And she's like, Hey, you're not, if you're not happy, you need to make a change. And so it kind of brought some light to my eyes. And I, uh, you know, you always say, there's always that quote that you're the sum of the five people you're around. And yeah. You said that when I came on your podcast, it's one of three quotes you said that I wrote down when I left your podcast. That's one of them. 
And, you know, and that's what I try to always be cognizant of who I'm around and who I'm spending time with. And I just realized that with that job, I wasn't around the right people. And I'm sure they're great people, but they just weren't making me better. Right. And so I was like, you know what, making a change. So I ended up getting a job with uh, UPS. I'm a UPS driver. And my uncle actually did it for 31 years. It was a circle of honor driver. And I have a cousin that's been doing it for 10. And honestly, it's awesome. I get a kind of set my own pace, push myself. I by myself most of the day delivering packages. I walk about anywhere from five to seven miles a day. Oh, really? Yeah. So very active. So you're driving a ton, but you're also walking. Oh, oh man. That's, yeah. I'm putting in a lot of miles. It's almost like hunting in a way, putting in yeah. seven, some miles a day, picking up heavy boxes and moving it. But I was just about to ask you if you use those miles towards your mentality of getting in the mountains or getting out on the plains and hunting. Always, always yeah. trying to get better for that. But, uh, no, and then it's great because I'm a huge podcast listener and yeah. an audiobook listener. So that gives me time where I can throw in one earbud and just drive and do my route and always trying to better and trying to figure out different ways to either make money or to kill animals or to what's my next thing I'm going to do. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's crazy. You know, UPS, I, I didn't realize, um, we just talked about this while we were making coffee upstairs, but uh, Monty Buckmaster, who owns the Mint Bar, uh, was a UPS driver. The Mint Bar has been around since 1907. It's, you know, I'd say it's one of the most famous bars west of the Mississippi for sure. And he earned the money to get the bar from being a UPS driver for, I think, the same amount of time, probably 20, 20 25 years, maybe even longer. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to speak, you know, incorrectly, but he and I have had many conversations about UPS and drivers and that system and how calculated it is and how much goes into packages getting from one place to another and i think we take it for granted i take it for granted it's easy to get pissed off you know we have a business so we ship you know we ship a thousand packages every couple days and it's easy to get pissed off when one of them is late but then you go but wait a minute do the math on that out of you know tens of hundreds of thousands of packages you know one or two are late but anyway you know it's it's neat that you're doing that and you're enjoying it because I, I from all everything i've ever heard it's a great company and a great career yeah and it's something that uh i didn't realize what all went into it yeah i just figured that you'd get in the truck and you just go drop the packages off right they're a their organization like for me as a person i really i really thrive in team activities right like, don't get me wrong if i go out and do something by myself i'm going to do my best to try to get it done the best way i can get it done right but in a uh, in a group environment where I don't want to let other people down. So with this organization, they kind of base it off as a team activity. And to they just like with probably, you know, with the military stuff that to get to a special um, elite uh, rank or special forces kind of thing, like you yeah. got you to gotta go through, tr you know, you're you got to be tested. Yeah, and absolutely. Like there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, hurdles that you got to jump just to be a driver, and I didn't realize it. Like they're they're not just uh, a package delivering company. They're like they're a safety company. Yeah. So they're all they're, they preach safety, and and now like right now I I went through all the training, and now you're in a qualification stage. How long did that take? Oh man, it probably took about say a month of different training. So like you do three days of with the whole COVID thing. They typically they'd send you to a place to have people teach and put you kind of through the ringer, but they had three days of online training and then you drive with a supervisor for like five days. Gotcha. And then okay. he kind of walks you through running the little handheld computer that you scan the packages with. And then uh, once you do that, then you have a month. They, so every day they, 
they have a computer program that like lines out your packages and everything and says like, all right, well, you got 250 packages, you get 150 stops. It should take you about, you know, eight hours. And when you're qualifying, you want to either hit scratch and meet your eight hour time or under. If you go over and you can't meet that time for a month, you're not, you won't be a driver. Wow. Yeah. So, like so you, it's no you, joke. Yeah. Like, so if yeah. you still like get hired on and, but you don't make the time there, you're not going to be full time. So that's crazy. You, you that's gotta, cool. So all every day you're in the back of your mind, like, all right, where am I at with my time? Can I keep, do I need to go faster, slower? But all the while you still got to maintain your speed limit and the, obey the laws and watch out for people and follow all the rules. So right. it's, it's a different, it's a different little test every day. And, uh, like you're not just delivering just packages that are ground where you just leave them at the doorstep so like my route i deliver in i don't know how deep you want to dive into this no but. i this is i'm it's fascinating because again i think a lot of people when we're at that time of year when a billion packages are going to be going out so people get pissed off i'm one of those like again i, I take <laughs> just like everything in this entire world it's easy to take things for granted when they are so simple by a couple pushes of a button but you know me getting a package it's just, it's a lot more complicated. There's a lot goes into it. And I like hearing about it because take, for instance, we sell Richardson hats at Bison union and every now and then one in a thousand customers will pop up and go, well, you got a hat that's made in Vietnam or China or whatever. And I have to explain to them everything that goes into that to include how many people are employed in the United States by those packages moving from place to place, not to mention that it's an American company yeah, some of the hats that I use, I try and use Vietnam hats as much as I can, and people freak out about that. Well, what about the Viet The Vietnam War was a long time ago. If we don't change our mentality and work with other countries, I've been to Vietnam. My language in Special Forces was Vietnamese. You know, I spent a lot of time in Vietnam for, for an American, and, you know, I'm getting down a rabbit hole here, but I'm come back to it that that package and the packages and everything that employs, I man, the amount of people that get employed like you at UPS or FedEx or any company, um, it's a pretty big deal to me. I take packages. So when you say, do you want to dive into it, man, that's why I don't want to do an hour of podcast about, but, but <laughs> yeah. keep going like this, this to me, I like hearing it. I got and, you. And if I like hearing it, I think other people probably would too. Like it's, it's more simple. Like you just said, you walk five to seven miles a day. How many UP driver, UPS drivers are there in this region? I don't know if you know that answer, but then you take the whole United States, put all those miles together, put all that together, the safety you talked about. Man, it's a, UPS is a monster company that employs a lot of people. Oh, yeah, and they're a good company. And I'll, I'll kind of wrap up what I was going to say about, like, my route is, so, like, over, over in Gillette, I deliver, like, the Walmart, the whole shopping center. So, yeah. like, I do a lot of businesses, and then there's a Lakeway Street that, it has a lot more businesses and then I'll do a bunch of residentials. So in the morning you look at your, your, your route and you have your commit packages. And so you're you, driving a big, yeah. What, the, what are they called? Uh, what they do you call guys call them? Package cars. Okay. But it's, you're talking big brown truck. Yeah. They're like 10 feet, six inches high. Okay. So your standard typical UPS truck that you see out driving around. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, uh, they're, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're not built for speed and or comfort, but they get the job done. But, uh, yeah, so you first thing in the morning I look at, I got to try to figure out which packages are your priority. You got your ones that people pay buku bucks to get there the next day. Yeah. So they're your priority, your commit packages. So I got to have those delivered before noon. So I'm like, all right, well, and then 
with your little handheld computer, they call it a dyad, but you, it's got GPS on there and you try to follow that to as much as you can and hit the stops on the way to your commit packages. But then there's sometimes you got to break off and then boom, go hit those commits and get those off before noon. And then I look at my truck because sometimes it's so full, you can't even walk back there. So then I'm like, okay, what are my... Who, lo- who loads your truck? Oh, we have preloaders that come in at like so you, four in the morning. So you get on a truck, you get there, you check in, you go through your briefings, do whatever. Yep. Get your computers, make sure everything's up and running, batteries, blah, blah, blah. Truck is good, safety inspect. And then, but your truck is, there's another person back there on the team. Yeah. That has that thing loaded. You have the same person loading your truck every day. Yeah, not not every day, just, but just you hope that he that you hope he does a good job and he takes pride in his work. That's what some, I was asking. Because sometimes I've found packages that aren't on the road they're supposed to be. But right. but you know everyone has a bad day. But yeah, you just if they do it right and you work your system and work your plan and get in your routine, yep. it's pretty sweet. So like I'll hit my commits in the morning and then I'll find my bulk stops because there's like I'll deliver on average probably thirty to forty packages to Boot Barn alone. And they're big. Cow- so, yeah, boots and hats. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, cowboy I'll, boots are not light, and they are not. They come in big boxes, cowboy hats. Yep. Yeah. And then I'll go to, like, Maurice's next, and I'll dump all those off. And they'll, they'll have, like, 20, and they've they got – almost Maurice's is almost more than boot bar. Well, is Maurice's the same it's, – it's a Western store? No, it's a, it's more like a, a women's clothing store. Kind okay. Of almost like a JCPenney or gotcha, a, gotcha, something okay. like that. So, anyway, I'll get all my bulk stuffs off. Then I can finally walk down the aisle going back to find all the other packages. So anyway, and then I'll just kind of work my route and get all the businesses done before five and then I'll finish the residentials and that's kind of my day. Awesome. So yeah, that's kind of the life of a UPS driver, but no, I, I enjoy it. It's good work and you know, I, I enjoy it. I get to listen to books and podcasts all day. That's awesome. I'm glad you found, you know, found something right now that is, is working for you. And you uh, get to meet good people too. Like you get to come in there and you know, you're wearing that brown suit and everyone treats you with respect that, hey, you're bringing them their stuff yeah, that excited. they've been looking forward to. Yeah. It's Christmas every day for us here when we get packages. And, you know, again, it's easy to get frustrated when something doesn't land right. And then, you, again, I got to sit back and go, okay, this was one in a thousand and it's weather, whatever else, you know, stuff's going to happen. But, um, sorry to interrupt you, Bert. No, but, but please uh, do. Anytime. But, but, but the, what else I've been going on is so I, I got that job, been trying, trying to train for hunting, and then um, I don't know if I don't know if she wants me to bring her up on here, but my my girlfriend's a world class barrel racer, and she's she's super humble, and like I know I brought her up earlier, but yeah, she's uh you know you always want like talking about surround yourself with good people. Like yeah. I, I found somebody that pushes me every day and then makes me think like oh man she's pushing herself that hard i better i better at least meet her you know and do the same or try to push harder so i I know exactly what you mean and i i'm in that same position that you know i went through a period where i surrounded myself with just not bad people but not the right people for me yeah um just people that were involved and absorbed in stuff that to me in the grand scheme of things on this short while you're on earth just just we're not similar and i it's hard to it's hard to leave the comfort of a group of people and go, okay, you're not like them. It's not a happy place to be. It's not a healthy place to be. And then you find a group of people that, or one or two people. And right now I'm in the same boat. I've got a small, small, small circle and counted on, you know, less than, you know, one hand. That's how it should and, be. And people that are just pushing me every single step of the way. Um, but I know exactly what you mean. It, it, it's nice to have somebody like that in your corner. Oh man. And so, and like what I've been kind of doing for her is I, 
just to kind of keep me busy because like from going from rodeo and full time to now I just I I work and then I'll go to the gym and work out yeah so like my mind still it's not feeling that need of trying to I still need I still need more busy work yeah so she has me uh her breaker young colts so I've been doing that for her and oh cool she, she's got a young stud that we call titan and he's just awesome so like I can get a horse where to do the basics but then she'll come by and and she'll teach me different things about uh you know just little tricks to get them to do different things so that when she gets on them to train them for barrel racing, that it makes her job a little bit easier. So it's, it's fun to do that as a couple. And that's something that I really enjoy. And then and is she competing on the weekends. Oh, now nah, she does it for a living. So she's, she's every weekend she's rocking and rolling. Oh yeah. Obviously hitting everything around here. Yeah. She's, she's the real deal. Awesome. What's her name? <laughs> her name's Maggie Plonsick. Maggie Plonsick. Yep. I know her name. I just wanted to, you yeah, the push last, it out the, yeah, the he, last name's a little, it's tougher to pronounce, but no, she, uh, follow her Maggie Plonsick on Instagram. She's a, uh, she's super motivational and she gets after it. She, she doesn't take no day off. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I, I you know, I, I haven't been around horses my whole life. So, you know, it, it's for me, it's super interesting and it's fun to watch what you do, what barrel racers, it just, it doesn't matter. It's just watching somebody get on a 1200 to 1500 pound animal and work it and, you know, that, that connection that humans make with horses, it's like with dogs, like, or anything else, you know, when humans connect with an animal and are able to work as a team, it's pretty remarkable. It's mm -hmm. one of my favorite things in the world. And every day I dive more into that, you know, I, I would love to spend more time around animals. I know you're the same way hunting different side of animals. Yeah. Yep. You know, when you got here, we made coffee and you said, Hey, I'm going to run out and or I've got my bow in, in the, in the, in my vehicle you want me to grab it? And I walked outside with you and you, can I say, yeah, go for you, it. You, you, classic <laughs> Wyoming. You got a, you're not driving a truck right now. You're driving a, a car and you pop the trunk to pull your bow out. And there's a, a, you know, a pretty good size. What I would say, cause I grew up in Kansas and Texas, a, a, a huge, you know, good size buck in the trunk of your car yeah well see classic, well, classic wyoming well i haven't changed bert i feel no. like so like kind of a quick story i yeah in high school i would uh i had a coon dog and i yeah. wanted to go run uh, mountain lions and coons and uh, like at the time i wasn't much of a dog trainer and i but i got him to at least treat some coons a little bit in high school and I would always take those raccoons and I'd skin them or whatever. And then I would mess with my buddies and I'd always have a, like a raccoon cage in the back of my car and all this different stuff. And then I remember I killed a turkey in high school and I showed up to shop class and I, I uh, told my shop teacher, I'm like, Hey, I got a turkey. Can I pluck it <laughs> during shop class? He's like, yeah, don't get feathers all over the shop. But anyway, so like, I've always, great. I've always kind of done stuff like that. And yeah. It's always been something just being outdoors and being able to, you know, I feel like I'm, it slows me down and really centers me and gets me kind of in, I don't know, it gets me in the vibe of the flow of how life's supposed to be. Yeah. And, and that, 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 that has become watching you and Sam and, you know, 10 other people quiet, you know, you guys are, you guys are avid, avid outdoorsmen. And there's a lot of people out there and this isn't a negative comment. There's a lot of people out here who say they're avid outdoorsmen, but you guys literally like, that's your church. It's your center. It's, I know you guys go to church outside of that, but it's your center. And like you said it, and yesterday I was up, um, on, I went up Penrose, you know, for 10 hours yesterday, just in the mountains and saw yeah. two people. And it was a husband and wife on a four wheeler, mm -hmm. you know, for 10, like pretty special place here. Yep. Um, yep. and I know you get up there a lot and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this because, you know, for me, 
I've done a couple hunts the last few years, some bigger hunts and some pack trips and, and a lion hunt and, you know, elk hunt and some other hunts that I haven't posted about and won't post about because it's just, it's personal and special mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. The more and more I do this, but you and I, you know, Sam and I, you and I started talking about it first and then Sam and I started talking about it, but bow hunting and, yep. you know, I, I love the idea of it. I just, I absolutely love it. I'm not going to, again, I'm new at this. I've shot a compound bow. This to me, what you brought in here, you know, recurve traditional longbow. It's just to me, there's something that appeals to me. It's like somebody wants to go out and look at a crotch rocket motorcycle. There's people that want to ride a Harley. It doesn't matter. You know, whatever floats your boat, do it. You know, whatever makes you happy, do it. But this intrigues me. It somehow it hits me right in the center of my chest. And you and I started talking a year ago about it. Like, Hey, would you help me get into this? And you've, you've now given me 20 different options for bows. Um, explain that to people like me that are listening to the podcast, the difference between the bows and how you went four years ago and switched gears and said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go a more traditional route. Okay. Um, and in while you guys are listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're not watching the YouTube Devin's uh, Instagram, Devin Riley, you can go to my Instagram and find him if you can't find him, but you should be able to find him pretty easily uh, because he does a lot of posts, a lot of his stuff quietly posted. It's not boastful. It's more, it's more um, humble and humorous than anything and, and just you out practicing. Yeah. Uh, and, and hunting. You know, if I like it's going to explain why I got into traditional archery is I, uh, I've always been a man that just wants to do hard things. Right. I like the challenge. Uh, I don't know. I'm maybe. I'm why? Gonna, why is that? Why? Yeah. There's still a quote. I'm going to interrupt you before I just no, ask a question. But you said it on my podcast, or when I was on your podcast, you said it to me. You know, it's something my dad said to me in a different way. Um, thirty years ago, when I went to join the army, uh, not thirty years ago, but uh, twenty years ago now. Um, he said the you know you said it very pointed the way you do one thing is the way you do everything mm-hmm. he said the same thing to me but that's just been in my head since you and i did the podcast here in the coffee shop and i feel like that's part of this question why do you like to do hard things i think it's just the challenge the i don't like people saying you can't do something and i know you always hear people say that but when i think when people say hey you can't do that i think well how can i and try to f- think about ways to do it right and i think it, it kind of just stemmed from like high school for example i was on the football team i was i weighed 140 pounds wasn't the biggest guy on the team i was one of the i was like the weak side linebacker but my senior year my coach came up to me and asked me hey do you want to be the center i'm like yeah let's do it so i was the smallest center in the state and we ended up going 11 and one and ended up winning the state championship my senior year. <laughs> so like, that's, that's awesome. I, I just, how much it, did you weigh your senior year? Like 145. I wrestled 145 my senior year. It's great. And so then just wrestling, like, I feel like, uh, there's a quote that I really like Once you wrestled, everything in life is easy. It's, I remember just putting myself through hell, just cutting weight and it wasn't no one, no one made me do it. Yeah. I did it. I wanted to, so I, I had that drive to push myself and just to do those kind of hard things. And then when I transferred over to rodeo, uh, you know, people are like, well, bareback riding is the most physically demanding event. It's the roughest on your body and you got to be kind of crazy and tough. Cause you don't, uh, once you nod your head, your hands locked in there, it, yeah. it ain't coming out until you try to wedge it out. And if you fall off the wrong side, you're along for the ride. Like, yeah. so, uh, 
was like, bring it on. That's I'm all about that. So I uh, did that for 10 years and uh, I was fairly good at it. I really enjoyed that. And then uh, when I shot my compound, because I hunted with a compound from when I was little, but it was, I guess I should back up. I always shot a compound, but I shot it like a traditional bow. When did you start hunting? Oh man. Classic Wyoming. Your dad hunted. You yeah. yeah. So my dad. dad's a professional uh, um, guide. Yep. He likes to guide sheep hunters. And uh, yeah, so I've been going in the mountains with him probably when I was like six. This right? is all, he, he does most everything in Wyoming. Yeah. A lot so, of stuff on the other side of the state. Yeah. Guides over in Cody Matitzi, sheep yep. hunters. He really, sheep hunting's his, his gig. But uh, so. What guide uh, service does he work for? Do you want to say or no? Um, he's worked for several different okay. ones. But does he have but his own now? No, he's not. An, he doesn't have an his outfitter's okay. business. He just he does it because he enjoys it. He's gotcha, been on gotcha. over like fifty plus sheep hunts that were successful. And which explains sheep. I, I, I we're going to go off on these branches. Because I love it. There's yeah. a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are like me and don't know shit. They're learning every day about this and more and more about primitive stuff and hunting and you know how special it is, especially people that are listening about Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about sheep hunting. If you had to categorize hunting in wyoming montana idaho this area where does sheep hunting sit in the hierarchy oh sheep hunting is probably one of the one of the if you get to go sheep hunting it's probably one of the most bucket listed hunts that a person can go on so you're most talking coveted. about get, getting a sheep tag you're talking 10 15 20 years of hunting yeah for wyoming people that live here that have hunted their whole life it, yep. it's and a it's a white whale it is and i feel like if people go back and listen to your podcast with sam yep. like you guys did a very good job of describing what the process is to get yeah. that so we don't have to dive down that rabbit yeah, yeah. hole because there's people that are hired to do the conservation and to figure out how many sheep can be taken each year so that sheep will still flourish but we can still harvest them and uh without going down that rabbit hole but uh no sheep they're they live in rugged country you're up there you got around grizzly bears and wolves all day and they're uh sleeping on 200 foot 200 foot cliffs and they are you know they always like well like a as a being like a guide or a hunter or whatever like the biggest compliment i think you can give a man is saying like hey He's like a mountain goat going up those hills. Yeah. And that's what sheep are like. They're they're cruising the hills. They'll go down, they'll drop down 2,000 plus feet, and they'll run up 3,000 plus feet without breathing hard, and will go over the ridge before you can even take 10 steps. Like, I know that's an exaggeration, but it's, uh, they're, uh, and they're just tough to hunt. They're, they blend in with the rocks. They're hard to see. Everything about them is tough. Gotcha. So if you can kill a sheep, with a rifle, it's a big, uh, big feat as a hunter. If you can do it with a bow like Sam did, it's a bigger feat. And if you can do it with a recurve, it's even, it's just the harder you make it on yourself. And then the, the more, if you are successful, yeah. the kind of the bigger self, the bigger, the reward and the, in a way, the self-fulfillment. So kind of circling back to why I switched to the traditional bow is I, I used to shoot a compound as a kid. I shot a compound, but I shot it like a recurve. I'd shoot with my fingers and no sights. And I did that till I was probably just coming into high school and, uh, shooting just that compound with split fingers and no sights. They call it just a bear bow. And, uh, I ended up when I was 13, I killed a black bear with it that way. I killed a couple different things with it that way. But then when I got a senior year in high school, I ended up killing a bull elk with a my compound and it had sights and the whole release and all that stuff. And I enjoyed it. And then I killed a few more whitetails with a compound the same way, but then I'd pick the bow up and I, I wouldn't be excited about shooting it, 
that's where I started thinking like, why, why am I not pumped about this thing that right. the other people are clearly enthusiastic about? Because if you've ever shot a bow or any sort of thing that or like a rifle, something that goes off in your hands that kind of sends your mind into some different, um, way of thinking it, uh, you should be pumped about doing it just like anything you should be pumped about. But, uh, so my, my mom's side of the family, uh, my mom's awesome and her sisters are awesome and my cousins are awesome. So like what they would do is my uncle, he'd shoot a, he'd shoot a recurve bow and they'd put on, uh, archery shoots every year so have you ever been to an archery shoot you know what an archery I have shoot not. is i am so, so novice at this and i've watched for from the sidelines for a long time and that's one of the reasons i was super excited about you coming on this because you and i have been talking you know in depth you know every other week or so you keep pinging me did you get a bow yet did you and you set me up with enough information you know literally a an absolutely awesome introduction into this 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 hobby sport lifestyle so the next step for me is to start going to watch professionals do this it's not even a professional thing it's actually a family oriented deal gotcha. so so and i'll dive deeper in kind of what different bows and stuff yeah. and like the setups later but so an archery shoot my um i'm gonna plug their archery shoot Please so, do. so my uncle has uh he i think he and some other guys up in montana the traditional bow hunters in montana put on one up in the bear paws so the bear paw bowman archery shoot i think they, have, they call it the barber shoot up in haver montana chinook area right next to the canadian line it's an awesome two-day shoot and then my cousin puts one on in bozeman called the bridger bowman archery shoot and they're around like father's day weekend they're kind of in that beginning june july ish yeah. and they're, they're during the summer so you go up there it's like a giant camping trip you pull up your camper you set up a tent whatever and you sign up they have a tent you go sign up and pay like maybe 20 bucks to do a round and it's similar to golf so you go up they have a live 3d course so they have like a live 3d elk or deer or badger or skunk or whatever and you have different stakes they'll have a compound shooting stake and they'll have a traditional archery stake that you stand by and you shoot there and on the foam animal there's different uh in the kill vital zone right they got a small circle that's like a 10 10x or a 12 ring whatever you want to call it and then there's a bigger circle around it and that's a 10 for points and then an even bigger circle around that if you hit inside that zone it's eight points and then if you hit anywhere on the target it's five and if you miss it's zero so you get up there with all your buddies and you shoot from the same stake just like you would with in golf and wherever you hit on the animal you have a guide keeping score and okay well Bert shot a 10 ring okay well Devin hit it in the ass well you get gotcha. he, he got a five and oh Sam Davis, you missed. So <laughs> no, but uh, so that's how you go. You go through the course and there's different shots. So it's all hunting scenarios. So you're shooting uphill, downhill, off cliffs, around through trees and brush. And uh, it's interesting. Some people, you can get as creative as you want. Uh, my cousin put one up where it's like on a pulley system, where it's like a javelina and it would slide down his pulley system. He had to oh, shoot, cool. shoot it as moving. it while moving. So you do that and sometimes you go through the course twice or if if it's like the one up in uh haver that two-day shoot i think they have like four different courses and each course has like 25 targets so like you it's a it's a big deal you go out and then um at the end of the day 
turn in your scorecard and there's a bunch of different brackets for compounders with different sites and setups same thing with longbows and recurves and kids and women's divisions so it's it's a cool, cool it's a cool family event and then they'll do big raffles so that's kind of cool and they'll have it kind of so they'll people will donate and then they'll put a different certain amount of the funds or proceeds will go to conservation which helps towards public lands hunting all that stuff to go back to the public lands that we get to enjoy so there's that side of it and then they'll have like a like a flu flu shoot so they'll have them make them foam discs and these arrows that will you'll shoot them but they won't go very far so you'll throw that disc in the air and you can shoot it out of the air oh cool so that's fun and then uh my cousin and my uncle will they'll they've started this deal that i really enjoy so it's kind of a it's called the water shoot and everyone puts like five or ten bucks into the pot and, and you have the traditional division the compound division and the kids division and what they'll do is they'll put a t-post in the ground and then they'll have a bar going across the t-post and they'll have like a pulley system so then they'll have a rope coming up and over and down and then have paper clips and they'll hold like a quart-sized bag full of water on each side so then you so if you and i were together we go up to the starting line at like say 10 15 yards we'll draw back our bows and you each get three arrows, and whoever drains their their water bag first advances to the next round. Oh, cool! Yeah, and then it's interesting because if you hit, and it's the, pretty simple because it's on a pulley. So if you're on the right side, you drain your bag first. Yep, goes you can up. tell like yep. there's oh, no, yeah. there's no, there's no shady area there. Like it, you can tell who drained their bag first. Yeah, and who if you hit the clip, you're disqualified. Oh wow! So yeah, and then if you, it's crazy. You'll see somebody that'll. It, even if you're the best archer in the world, you can still get your butt kicked. Cause like you can hit that bag at the top of the bag three times, but then either a kid or this gal will come up against you and just nick the bottom, bottom. side of the bag and it's done. That's and it's, awesome. So it's a cool little family event with that or a challenging event. And at the end you can win some money and cool. And then they'll, they'll have uh Oh, sometimes they'll have a band there and then at the night at nighttime they'll have a big bonfire and everyone sits around and tells hunting stories or just what how their day was or just catching up on life so that's what i like to do during the summers now and go up and hit those and it's just good practice for hunting situations like and, yeah. and try different scenarios and different setups so yeah that's uh that's what a 3d shoot is but uh, do you want me to dive in? A yeah, little so bit more that, yeah, perfect segue. You know, speaking of bows, so you want to grab that? I mean, obviously, if people are listening, we got to, you know, explain it for them, but the people watching. So, yeah. talk to me about this like I'm a, fi a five year old that just walked into the room <laughs> okay. and you're explaining this to me like first time I've ever seen one of these things. So, you're saying explain it to me, my, explain it to you how I explain everything to myself. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, uh, this is a RER bow. There's a bunch of different brands out there for recurves and longbows. And uh, so what I would say, if before you get into shooting a bow, you want to try different bows out. And what, uh, I guess another good start to what a person would want to do is figure out, I'm going to set this back down. Yeah, please do here. Uh, Let me move this. But you want to figure out what poundage you want to pull back. And what, and what kind of uh, situation you're going to be using the bow for. So how long a bow is. Like my this bow I just showed, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, it's a 60-inch bow from tip to tip. They'll make traditional bows that will go down to 58, and they might go down even a little bit shorter. But then they'll even go as long as 66, 68 inches. And 
it's uh so you got to think if you're gonna be in a ground blind if you're gonna be in a tree stand trying to move that around limbs to get a shot on a deer um so you got to keep that in mind i wanted something that was kind of in the middle uh and then for me like these bows can go as light for poundage the draw it could go from 45 pounds 30 pounds like it can go really low for kids and women that want to shoot but you could pull back there's some people that pull back 70 pound recurves or 60 like my i think my dad's got a recurve it's it's a 64 inch long recurve and it's at 28 inches he's holding back 66 pounds and the difference between a compound and a recurve is that there's no lut off so the further you pull it back the more that it's going to keep increasing in weight Right. So like this bow is going to, it's 54 pounds at 28 inches, but say if a guy has a 29 or a 30 inch draw length, like Sam does, this bow might be a 60 pound bow for him at that, at that draw length. So that's, that'd be the first thing a guy wants to figure out, uh, a 50, like this bow it's for 54 pounds at 28, 28 inches. I've killed a Buffalo with this bow. So it's, it's, it's got the power to do it. And it's, what a lot of people think with bows is like, oh, I need to have it shoot fast. I need to have it get there faster so they can punch in harder. But with a recurve, it's more like throwing a, the arrows, like imagine throwing a rock with a string behind it. Right. That rock's going to take a little bit longer to get there, but it's going to hit hard than having, say, like throwing, a, I don't know, throwing like a dart at a dartboard. Right. Really fast. Right. So anyway, so to figure out if you're going to get into this rabbit hole of traditional bows, because I guess we're going to go back to buying, like you got, they got custom bows that you can have made from a custom boyer that can make these things with any wood type and make them as pretty as you want. And the price can go from what wood is this? What, what's what wood? Yes. Oh, so it is a uh, tiger stripe myrtle and uh, Osage orange. And what is what is a setup like this? You don't have to say if you want to. What does a setup like this cost? Man, so any a setup like this could just like you have it, everything set up the way it is. Okay. Oh man. So I think the bow probably runs around probably close to twelve hundred, just the bow alone. And then you get a like I got a cell cell rest on there. That was kind of a tongue twister, but it it was running about a hundred bucks and then you got your arrows which and and tips and all that other stuff so that's probably another hundred so you could be anywhere in 900 bucks to two grand depending right. on what kind of bow you want but there's some like hoyt's got some good traditional bows that are pretty good psc i think's got some good bows that are just you know they're not going to be custom but if you want to dip your feet into it you're not going to be in it 1500 bucks you might be in 500 bucks right, or 600 right. and then start shooting and you can and also another good place that a person doesn't really think that but if you go to a pawn shop there always seems to be like a recurve bow in there for 50 bucks or 100 bucks and go grab that thing buy yourself some arrows that fit the bow and go shoot it Just and see practice, what you see yeah what you, see what see you like think it. and if you don't enjoy it you're not out a lot or if you have a buddy that has a bow Ask him if you can borrow it, have him show you, and go shoot it. And there's a lot of good people out there that put out a lot of good content about about bows and traditional archery, and I'm going to name drop some people. So, like, if I'm going to watch somebody that's going to make me better for traditional archery, I know, like, Aaron Snyder, he's got Kafaru cast. He's, he's, a, he's a nut with the traditional side of it, and he's just a killer. But so, like, I'll watch him and what he does with traditional stuff. Um, there's a guy that makes uh 
stalker stick bows. I think he makes some really pretty custom bows and he's out of Colorado. I think he's in Estes park, but like for a mule deer hunter, he's just a savage and his, I would call. And I, what's cool about all these people and all these, I think you, you could pick up the phone and call them tomorrow and they'd, they'd give the shirt off your back and try to help you as yeah, much as land, possible. Yeah. You know, stalker stick boat. Like that's one of the ones that you recommended that I look at if I was serious about it. Cause again, it is an investment. Um, but you know, when I started to dive down the hole of the, the information you sent me three or four companies and you explained who they are and how they work and man, it is, I, I dove into this crazy rabbit hole of the history in this country of these bows and it's nuts. Oh man. And so once you kind of figure out what weight, and I'm, I'm sorry to everybody if I'm just bouncing all over. No, this is, I'm trying to figure out is, my points this is and great. line you, it you know, up. This, this, not every podcast I do is going to be for everybody, but this one right here, there's going to be a lot of people that absolutely are going to love it. They're like me. Uh, they're watching people. And this is one of those arenas that social media is kind of tough because you see some of the people you named and then I could name 10 other people that I, you know, that I follow that make it look like, you know, the NFL or, you know, professional baseball or basketball, pick a sport, yeah. NASCAR, doesn't matter. You look at it and it's overwhelming going, well, shit, I'll never be able to do that. Like that's these guys, but you can, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's, this is one of those things too, that nobody else is pulling that, you know, nobody else is using that bow for you. You have to do it yourself. That's why it's so appealing to me. You know, and rifles are great. I love rifles. It's the same thing. You have to dope your rifle. You have to sight your rifle. You have to practice. You have to have the right ammunition for the right animals, right caliber, whatever. You still have to go out and stalk and pull the trigger. But this is just a whole other level of that. You have to put in the work. Yeah. You yeah. just have to. You're not going to get lucky with the bow. You might. But chances are you are not. Right. You're going to have to get, it's not just the bow, it's everything that goes with using this to learning how to be quiet, learning how to smell the same, you know, learning how, sight, every, every one of your senses has to be on spidey sense for this to work the right way unless you are just super lucky and you walk up on something and... Yeah. Which I don't think happens very often. No, but uh, it does happen. But hey, it when, when it happens, you be grateful it happened. Yeah. And then when the times when it's really tough, you just you you appreciate, en yeah. enjoy the suck <laughs> and get after it. But so if I could put this into a timeline, I would say figure out what length of bow, what draw weight you want. Yep. And I would say the lighter the weight in the beginning, the better, because I think a lot of people like to over bow themselves and have too much, just their ego gets in the way and they're like, ah, oh, man, I can Oh, pull. Devin's got this and Sam's got 60. I, I'm going to do that too. And it's, but as for form wise, kill the, your ego. Yep, exactly. So the, the thing about compound versus traditional is that a compound, it takes, there's so many things that are consistent on a compound when you begin that the sight's always in the same spot. Same thing with the peep. When you draw back that 70 pound bow, it lets off the 20 pounds. I'm just throwing out numbers, but anyway, all those are the same. So with the traditional bow, the draw length is never the same. The, you don't have no sights to reference. You, you literally just got a stick and a string and a piece of wood that you shoot it off of. And you got to figure out in your mind, how you're going to keep it consistent. And I feel like consistency in life is going to get you a lot of places. If you're consistently a good person, you're going to consistently be around good people. You're going to go back to a, that. We're going everything. The way you do one thing yep. is the way you do everything. That's right. And it's, it correlates with everything. So what I, what, when I first picked up the, I'm sorry, everybody, I'm bouncing all over. No, just no, but so away. the reason why I got into traditional archery to circle back to this is that 
when I was at the archery shoots with my mom's side of the family that I just noticed how much more fun the traditional guys were having than the compound guys. The compound guys were so serious about, oh, my sight's off a little bit. And nothing against compound guys. I feel like they're awesome. But all the traditional guys are like, oh, man, you missed. All right, well, let me try it. Oh, man, I missed too. Just No, and just I, the- I get it. You know, it, it's and people ask me, They people all the time want to talk to me about SBRs and AR-15s and black guns and cool guy guns. I call them cool guy guns. I carried one for a long time. I was at the range every week shooting one for a long time. Uh, I get more enjoyment and I do it quietly. It's one of those things that I won't hardly ever post on social media because it's mine mm-hmm. is I like Buffalo sights. I like lever action rifles. I like iron sights and people always ask me, well, what you should check out this gun or that gun. And it just doesn't appeal to me. I can mm-hmm. pick up a, an AR 15. I can pick up an M four. I can pick up what you pick it. I'll be okay with it. I will always be okay with it because for me, it's like riding a bike. I'm not ever going to be the best cause I don't shoot enough with it. Right. But when I pick up an AR 15 or a rifle like that, it's just not fun to me anymore. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's enjoyable, but it's like you said, you just picked up a bow one day and it just didn't feel Yep. When I pick up a lever action rifle, the minute I touch it, the minute I load it, the minute I cock it, man, it's just to me it takes it's like a time capsule for me. And and it's like a happy pill. It just feels so right. Yep. And you know, I shoot them quite a bit now, but again, I don't post them. I keep that that that's my and I'm talking about it, so it's obviously it's not too personal, but that to me has become mine. Yep. And I feel like that's the same way with you. It's you know, you pick up these bows and you go out and use them and it's it it's a connection f- it's a direct connection between you and your soul and nature and man, it's just, I get it. Oh yeah. And, and I, I think there's a lot of people that get it and there's more people that are getting it every day because the world is just moving so fast with technology and everything's getting so precise and so much better. And this isn't ever going to, this is one of those things that's not going to change much. Yep. And for the next thousand years, it's just not going to change much. No, it's not. And you know, people that build bows, there's not many of them out there. So if they, you know, if you find yourself a good one, you know, treat them good because they're, they're true craftsmen. But, uh, so going to the marcher shoots that it just, it relit my love for archery and just seeing the camaraderie that those guys had was shooting their bows. And so I picked it up and just like I said before, like I wanted to try something that was hard. And what I, what I learned from shooting the recurve is that like just pretty much the name of your show is I had to, ch- I had to check my ego because everything was so much more they call it the, like another nickname for the recurve or longbow is they call it the struggle stick because it's it it's tough it's trying to figure out like my goal that first year was just to kill something with it and I ended up having a buck walk by him in the tree stand at 17 yards and I arrowed um, that white tail and he went probably 50 yards and keeled over and it was just a quick ethical death. And just to see how once I, just like you're talking about drawing it back, it felt like I was just shooting and nothing against compound guys, but when I pulled back a compound, I always felt like I was pulling back something mechanical, which it is, but it didn't feel natural. Like where this is, if you look on Instagram, the emoji for a bow, it's not a compound bow. Yeah. It's a, it's a long bow recurve, you know? So that's, so once I got something killed with, it, I was like, Oh man, I just did something that for the last thousand years, that's how Indians and other, you know, that's how they were killing animals. So it kind of brought me back to a more of a, a primal state. And the, this bow has actually kind of become my uh, form of meditation. I, uh, have, I don't know if you've ever read the book, but it's called Zen in the art of archery. I have not. And that's a, it's, that's a good one. But 
so like now when I go out and shoot my bow, it's kind of how I relax and how I just kind of clear my mind for the day. And now what, what's a regular, how, how often are you shooting practice everything? Involved? I try to pick it up at least once a day, you know, and it's funny. Sam said the same thing. Yeah. And it's, like it's just, you got, you got to put them reps in just yeah. like if you're going to be the best at, as a bareback rider, if you're going to be best at, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a perishable skill shooting yeah. pistol, rifle, archery, horse. It doesn't matter what it is. It, you know, there's a lot of stuff. If it's, if it's muscle brain to body, muscle memory involved. Yeah. There's, there's a guy out there somewhere that can pick up a bow that once a year and is good at it. There's a guy that's good at pistol, but I think overall you're most people nine out of 10 or more, it's a perishable skill and you have to practice. Yep. Which is funny that, you know, Sam said the same thing. Other people I talk about, they literally, you know, will pick up and shoot every day. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. And I, the way I shoot this bow, it's funny. Cause like I had this, I bought this bow like four years ago and I don't shoot it the same. I shoot, I shot it. I shoot it so much different than I did before. Before I, I didn't have, uh, I, before I would just shoot instinctive and, and some guys now we're kind of diving down the rabbit hole of shooting. Yeah. So once you get, which your- is good. Like that, that that's go down that rabbit hole real quick because we keep talking about it before I forget about it. Yeah. Who makes this bow? So he actually doesn't make bows anymore, but this bow is an RER bow. My buddy Chester Floyd up in Bozeman, Montana made it. He's, he's moved on from making bows. He's uh he just, I don't, I don't know why, but you know, the bows he makes are world-class so i feel very lucky and blessed to have one of his bows awesome but he's a good friend and just a, a good human being so i'm happy to have one of his bows and uh so once you get your bow you figure out what length what draw weight you get your arrow set up for the bow then it's time to shoot it and the there's no sights on it. The draw length is going to be different every time. And so what with me with shooting this bow, I try to figure out how, you know, circling back to the consistency side, what are the things that I try to keep the same? And I try to do it the same every time so that I can have it repetitive and I can be more consistent. So I, the way I grip the bow, I focus on however you grip it, try to grip it the same every time. When you draw back and you anchor, try to have different anchor points, not just one. So when I draw my bow, I put my pointer finger in the corner of my mouth, my thumb behind my <laughs> ear, and I have the tip of my nose touch tips the tip of my nose touching the fletching of the arrow. So then I know that I'm locked in the same every time. Right. And then I actually close my left eye, just because I want to make sure I don't have nothing else interfering that I'm looking because. <sighs> See, I'm going to kind of butt heads with some, maybe the, the old timers that like, Hey, you just need to draw back and shoot and throw it just like you th- shoot it. Like you would throw a football. Yep. That feels good. Let her go, which there's nothing wrong with that. If that's how you like to shoot. Yeah. Me, I like to be accurate. So I, uh, and I'm not saying that the other one's not accurate, but I, I'm just, you got to do what's best. You for have you. your routine. That's right. So like I look over top the arrow and, uh, I try to get my left and right figured out. And then I actually put notches on the side of my uh, my riser so that I can figure out, okay, at 15 yards, I need to be about this high looking down. So I kind of use it as a, like a, a graph or an axis point. So once I got my look down my arrow, I get my left and right figured out. So then I know that I draw a line going straight up above the arrow. And then I know if I'm at, say, 15 yards, I need to be holding that arrow pretty low. So that's why I use them notches to kind of use as a a level or a graph and then I'll put wherever they intersect that's where I'll aim on the target and then I will let go 
And uh, the, uh, my another thing with the bow is they make things called a clicker, and it's 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 another thing that kind of butts with old timers too, because they're like, well, it's not really traditional if you got a clicker. But I'm back to keeping things consistent. What a clicker is, it's a piece of metal that goes onto your limb, and it's got another piece of holding a little piece of tin that has a hole through it and a string that will go to your bowstring. And as you draw back, that little string will pull tension on that little piece of tin. And once it hits that, once that string's you know tight, it'll click. So then what that tells you is that your bow is at the same draw length every time. So, because it's crazy, even though you have those anchor points, you can still underdraw or overdraw depending on how your your back and your back muscles are in tension and if you're excited if you got a big screaming bull elk coming in or if you got a white tail that's rutting and he's at 18 yards and you're like oh man i'm just gonna draw and you get to that anchor point you're, you're probably amped up. you're amped up and you're not thinking about am i in the same position as when i shoot a target and most people under draw and then they shoot and they shoot under the animal right so with that clicker then you pull back and once it goes click you know you're at the you same the draw right so then if you're aiming the same every time, then you know the trajectory of that arrow so that you're going to be more accurate throwing it down range. Gotcha. So, uh, but the thing about what's great about traditional bows, you can shoot it however you want. Some guys can't their bows. Some guys go straight up and down Olympic style. There's, it's all customizable, just like your vehicle or how you dress. Like, from what works for me may not work for yeah, you. Yeah, pistol so, and yeah, you know, pistol shooting and and you know shooting a range is the same. Everybody's going to have their own technique and you know there's there's a straight line down the middle of how you should shoot you know i'm perfect example pistol i'm 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 left eye dominant but i'm right-handed Ooh. so i have to cock my head a little bit and you know when i went to the army shooting school sephardic which is like special forces you're it's the premier shooting school for green brace and okay not everybody gets to go to it you have to be in a special company to go to that um, or get permission, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big deal, but I, you know, I had one instructor that came up to me and said, Hey, fix your shit, you know, excuse the language, but fix your shit. <laughs> and then another instructor would come up to me, you know, right after that and say, Hey, you shoot, you shoot better by cocking your head, use that technique. And there was about a 48, a 40 year difference in those two instructors. Mm. The older instructor said, Hey, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, you're good the way you are, but that perfect example, yep. people that shoot a lot or shoot in competitively will look at me and go, you got your head cocked. I'm right-handed left. eye dominant. I have to, I shoot better that way. I can shoot right. eye dominant and make myself right. eye dominant to shoot. It just doesn't work as well. And so with that being brought up, that's what I like to tell people is like, if you're confident with it, don't listen to me, do what you're confident yeah. with, because whether it's, Riding a bike, shooting pistols, shooting your traditional bow, riding horses. If you're, you know, competing com competitively at anything, if you're not confident with it, you're not going to compete at your best. So if you're do what's confident for you and stay with that and just try to hone in on what's the best. Right. Because if you're trying to do it to please someone else or whatever else, it's you're not going to be in the right frame, frame of mind. No. So... But that's that's how I do it, and I enjoy having the clicker on there. And it's, I don't know, it's one thing about like I, I just said that this bow is uh, kind of the way that I meditate or get into Zen or whatever you want to say. But it's just it's something that is challenging. It's it's always testing me because 
some one day I'll shoot and I'll shoot lights out. And I'll be like, oh man, like 40 yard shot with a traditional bow is extremely tough. It's like an 80 yard shot with a compound or maybe an 800 yard shot with a rifle. And what's crazy about this bow is like, there's been times in the mountains where I've had elk at 40 yards and I'm just thinking, oh my God, if I had a compound, you would be so dead. But I, but then I'm like, you, you know what? take the shot because it's right. I, 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 I got to get closer. Yeah. I, I, I try to get into a zone that I'm comfortable in. Like I feel very, like say like an elk, I feel very confident with like a 30 yard shot. Uh, whitetail, like the buck I, I got yesterday, I didn't feel, I had him at 30 yards and I didn't feel comfortable. Was that in the shot. mountains or, or? No, uh, I is behind, uh, my dad has a 10 acres on the river there here in Sheridan. And I just sat in a tree stand across the creek. So, gotcha. uh, so let me, let me, I'm going to go take a right turn here. Yeah. How much of your meat comes from your hunting? All of it. So your, your, your diet, your refrigerator, your dinner is served by your hunting. Yep. Elk. For probably 365 days a year. How many nights of the year is your dinner come from your hunting? Oh man. And probably every night it's in some form or fashion. That's, that's the reason why I do it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's, it's got, it gets you the adrenaline part of it, the camaraderie you get with your, your family and friends that you hunt with, uh, just the talent, the challenge of it. I mean, that's all great, but the, the main reason why I do it is to get the meat. And I, you know, with seeing how this crazy times that we're in right now, yeah. you see the grocery stores and the price it is for a dang steak, like, like five six months ago the price of a t-bone compared to one now or even just oh, it's ha crazy hamburger ground, alone yeah just ground beef yeah and, you know like honestly I, I know some people could probably tell the difference between say wild game hamburger and beef but now i i don't like i feel like it all like how i like my hamburger i have 90 percent lean and 10 percent soot so like it's really lean hamburger and uh like the steaks i think if people are always nervous about wild game but i feel like it's all how you cook it yeah like for example, when I first started really cooking wild game, I'd always cook it. Just, it's going to be well done. Are you an and iron skillet guy? I, I, I like to mix it up. I, I get sometimes a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, but I really like the, the Traeger so far with cooking steaks and best thing with like an elk or deer steak or your antelope is you want it, you want it medium, which is maybe still a little too done. You want it about rare or medium rare is about perfect. You want it a little bit bloody cause then it's, it's 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 that's the way to do it's it. It's perfect. That's <laughs> the way to do it. Because <laughs> if it's overdone, then it's going to be a little bit tougher. Gotcha. So because those animal animals are so lean. But yeah, that's everything that I hunt is what I eat. And if whatever I don't eat, I I give to friends and family. Love it. So yeah, always trying to help out, and it's yeah, that's the only only way I only way I can live, man. That's that's what gets me going. So like yesterday. You were successful. When when are you hunting again? When am I hunting again? Yeah. I got an extra uh, cow and calf tag. Uh, I so maybe in December I'll probably go again. But next thing I'll probably be going hunting for is probably coyotes. Because I mean, yeah, that's I, I was going to dive into that because you're you know you've contacted me several times about it, and, and I know watching your social media that you're a, an extremely extremely proficient coyote hunter so let's talk because half the people listening to this aren't you know probably don't you know coyote to them looks like a fox looks like a dog looks like a yep. Yep. looks like a pretty innocent animal talk about coyotes so and and well let's not i i know you're you don't believe that i'm gonna interrupt you one real quick yep 
you're not going to villainize or bastardize them because they are part of the ecosystem. But right. let's talk coyotes and management of coyotes specifically in Wyoming because Wyoming has a lot of coyotes. A lot of coyotes, and there's there's no tags for them, and they're uh, they're pretty much if you wanted, you could shoot them on site, and you could shoot them year round, which is kind of unheard of. But you but that animal. One, if say if there's an apocalypse, cockroaches and coyotes are gonna be around, man. Yeah, <laughs> we're not, but they are. They're right. like super people, savvy, super savvy. And people ask me, "What's your favorite animal to hunt?" And a lot of people would think like, "Oh, it's elk, deer," you know. But if I had to pick, if I had to pick one animal I'd hunt or I have the most up, most respect for, it would be the coyote. Uh, I've say so. Say that again. The the coyote I have the most respect for is the coyote, yeah. or the animal I have the most respect for is probably the coyote, just because of the intelligent the intelligence of them. The, the they're the most challenging thing in my opinion to hunt. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm gonna plug a book, but it, his name's Dan Flores. His book's called Coyote America. And if you guys want to learn a lot about coyotes, read that book. And they're smart. And what's really interesting about coyotes is a lot of not all every Indian uh, religion, but there are quite a few Indian religions actually base their kind of say deity is off of like Father Coyote because they represent people. And how so is that coyotes will they'll hunt by themselves, they'll hunt in groups, they'll hunt in packs. Well, what do we do as humans? We're okay being by ourselves. We thrive as together, you know, as a group, and we also hunt in pairs or you know work as pairs. So, and what indians would do I, sh- I should say native americans what they would do is uh they would base they'd use the coyote as teaching life lessons to their kids they'd use them as the trickster they'd use them as the hero they'd use them as different ways to explain different life situations to their their family and their their childs and to tell stories and that's how they would pass on life lessons but getting into hunting coyotes that's what you want to know right yeah, like yeah what's, yeah, what's yeah. They uh they breed in January and February, and they will have litter site. I think their their time of being pregnant or de- gestation period is like two to three months, and they can have litters from two up to thirteen. And kind of what's cool about the coyote is that when everyone hears them howling at night, they're not just howling because they they want to. It's kind of more of a a roll call from what I've read. So they'll get up there and they'll howl and they'll let. They're just pretty much checking in and they'll see, okay, well, we got another group about a mile away to the east. We got another group a mile away to the west. So then when they have their pups or something happens biologically with them where if there's a lot of coyotes around in the area, they won't have bigger litter sizes. They might only have two or three because they don't want to overpopulate the area and kill off all the game. So biologically, their brain tells them, hey... Yep, you're to tone it down or yep, tone it down or, or or pick it up. Yep. So if they howl and there's nothing out there, they're like, oh man, well we maybe need a to pop. Yep. So they have a bigger litter. So that's what the, it. It's interesting to think the more you hunt them, the more they're going to be right because you knock down the population. Well, then they're going to next spring they're going to have a bigger, bigger litter, litter litter sizes and then populate it back up. But so there's really a game of control with yeah. with coyotes and i know you know i i there's a realtor that that i he was one of the realtors that i bought my place up in the mountains here from and his dad did all the coyote control for three states for like 40 years like this was back in the 40s 30s 40s 50s mm-hmm. and he's shown me photos of you know being out in an air you know right outside an airplane hangar with 
hundreds of coyotes lined up from one or two days oh, of man. hunting. And it was funny because he would go with his dad and he would say, hey, this is nothing. Like, this is a big dent, but this is not a, I mean, it's, or it was a dent, but not a big dent. Yeah. Because there's that many coyotes out there in this region. But um, it was remarkable to me just reading about them because, like you said, they're super... They're super cunning animals. You see them more than I see them more than I see anything. Even from my drive here to home, I see I see coyotes. Obviously, white tails and mule deer are crazy between yep. here and my house. As you know, it's it's yep. insane. I've mm-hmm. never seen more deer in my entire life. But uh, but I see coyotes as far as you know that that apex animal when you start getting into coyotes and wolves and bears and and mountain lions, which I, I've I've seen a lot of bear and mountain lion in the last two years of being here. But I see coyotes more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're cunning and they're fast and they're, like you said, they're resilient. Um, so it's a remarkable animal. And, but, but watching you, I don't, I know there's guys out there that probably don't even have Instagram accounts and there's people that, that are, that, that are proficient with it, but I, it's fun to watch. I shouldn't say fun. It's very intriguing and interesting. And I enjoy watching that side of your hunting because it is a super destructive animal. When you look at the merging of, coyotes and and ranching and that's a whole we could do 10 episodes about that and yeah the politics of it but you know a coyote or a pack of coyotes or a family of coyotes will take you know a a 15 to or a thousand to two two thousand dollar cow calf it's a lot of money for a rancher or a farmer oh for Uh, sure a a lot of money and you know they'll have them problem coyotes and you know and i think a lot of people actually had this discussion with a friend of mine the other day about just we we're discussing about hunting wolves and just why and because yeah. but I, I would if i was going to you know talk to somebody that's on the fence or maybe doesn't like predator hunting it's uh us as humans are the top of the food chain right and we in, in order to coexist with everything on earth we've kind of got in a way we've got to manage them right we manage elk we hire the best in the world to manage and tell us hey the elk population is you know, really thriving. We need to take more elk to keep them down, but keep them at a thriving level so that we still got them around. Right. So then all the hunting licenses, everything else comes back and goes to the state. And then whoever kills an elk or whatever, they go get their meat process, which gives money for the state or the business owner, a tax dermis, all this stuff. So it all kind of coexists. And same thing with predators. Yeah, maybe there's not as many predators, but everything needs to live in harmony and we all need to everything needs to be balanced in a way. So we have the same biologist and game and fish, all those guys that they decide, okay, well, this is how many mountain lions we need to take. And this is, they send out surveys to all the hunters and same with bears and wolves and all this other stuff. So there's, everyone's put in the time so that these animals are respected just as much as, as an elk, you know what I mean? So, and predators is something that a lot of people kind of frown at because of, you know, think about it when we were raised as kids, what'd you have? You probably had a teddy bear. So and every story and book and yeah. And, and, and you know, you talked about relationship cause you're a dog, you know, yeah, owner, yeah. same thing with coyotes. It's like, why would you hunt a coyote? You know? And what's interesting about coyotes is, yeah, I like to hunt them, but they're one of the toughest things for me to hunt compared to a deer and an elk. Yeah. It's just the challenge of it is you try to call them in. Like I've threw, sometimes you'll see coyotes. I threw every call in the book to try to bring them in. And they'll just look at you and trot the other way. It, they just didn't want to play that day. And one another thing about coyotes too is like you see people wearing jackets and they have the fur collar on it. That's all from trapped and hunt, hunted coyotes. 
And so what's cool about coyotes during this time, say from September to maybe February, March, if the weather's cold enough, you can kill a coyote, skin it, stretch it, and then you'll have a fur buyer come through town or in your region or look it up online. And uh, so you can, you're you actually selling sell those coyotes and it's it's a big, what, what's it what's a price like an average price for a cut per coyote it, it fluctuates every year uh you i've sold coyotes for 30 bucks and i've also sold them up to 60 and i've heard of prices going up to uh 120 bucks for just a for a coyote so you actually every coyote that you shoot you it's it's being used that so then they take it to the processor down wherever the fur company is they tan it and then they'll take those the back of the coyote and they'll take it into strips and tan it into those strips and then they'll put it on coats or they'll use them for gloves or something right and so they're being they're being used for just like beaver felt hats just like so it's, I like doing hunting coyotes it makes you feel like a mountain man yeah that's 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 I've always really tried to. Um, the things that I've always liked to do with life, I always wanted to like cowboys and mountain men and yeah. I've always idolized those guys and really looked up to them. So I've always wanted to do that kind of stuff, but that's kind of what, what people use coyotes for. And, you know, same thing. I'm sure you could do the same thing with wolves and, you know, they like bobcats, bobcats probably, they bring more money than coyotes do, but it's, you know, for like the, kind of circling back to hunting predators, if people that don't understand why or what, I would I would just really you know push them to do research and to really do their due diligence of trying to think from the other side of it if they aren't yeah and on that's board what, having you know? guys like you or Sam or other people on to talk about it that's 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 a big point that I like to drive home because it it you know I think it, a lot of this stuff it gets pretty misunderstood and it, and it's and I hope that I'm doing a good job explaining yeah, it because 100%. I don't and I and I still think I'm not doing a you know as well as I maybe could but. Like I was talking to my friend the other day and she was like, well, cause I feel like hunters really get portrayed as just killers. They see something, they want to kill it. It's like, no, I look at my dog. I don't want to kill it. I look at, I don't want, I'm not bloodthirsty. Yeah. I have no problem. Like I sat in the tree stand yesterday and I saw a bunch of does and little bucks walk by and I was just like, man, they have no idea I'm here, but how cool is it to be 10 feet away from this deer? And seeing them interact and watch them eat the grass or grunting and just to be in the environment to be outside and to be experiencing that like if i saw a coyote and didn't have a gun i'd still be pumped to see one yeah you know it's, and that's that's me when i see him it's it, you know it's it's just cool to see it's it to me and but i've also got that mentality of them as a bit of a mythical animal you know mm -hmm. they're real they're not a myth but to me you know this region this area tied back to you can't for me i can't see a coyote a bear a mountain lion or anything here and not think about my brain immediately goes back to man i can you imagine what it was like in 1845 coming through here after you know being on a wagon or riding a horse or walking yeah for months and months and months and seeing one and going okay if i don't kill that animal i'm not going to eat yeah and my family's life depends on it my life depends on it uh, that's kind of where i go and that's one of the reasons i moved here you and i've talked about that before like i live up in the mountains and you know, if I have it my way in the next few years, I'll, I'll move further into the mountains and, you know, get more into that. I'm way, way, way off. Like, you know, but, but, but that mentality, that spirituality with it, you know, touching right into your soul is it's, it's pretty cool. Okay. I, and I love, I love seeing them. I'm the same way you are. I love coyotes. I absolutely love coyotes, foxes, obviously wolves are wolves, you know, like it's, it, if you can see a wolf and a wolf in Wyoming or wolves in Wyoming, it's, 
it's pretty special, even if it's Yellowstone and it's a park and it's managed really, really well, but you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh man. Yeah. Anytime you can get out in nature and see something. Yeah. And you know, and another thing to kind of maybe drive home the thing, why, why hunters, why we do what we do, like everything that we buy that is hunting related has a tax on it that goes back to conservation. So when you buy ammo, when you buy a bow or a rifle, all that, that there's a tax on it that goes back to. Well, it's to, great. And to, I made a joke about it because I spent yesterday hunting for the perfect Christmas tree. Yeah. But it's $8 permit and that goes straight back into everything that, that, you know, locally that permit goes straight into the mountains here and recreation and, and trail upkeep and you name it across the board. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I did my first, you know, big Wyoming hunt last year um to to matitsi outside of matitsi in the wood river area and mm-hmm. that was one of those like you talked about and for me i grew up in kansas we don't have grizzly bears in kansas and texas so we're brown bears and you know we're sitting by the campfire and you know i had my back to the river the other side of the river probably 75 yards away you know one of the guys that was with us who's a guide and been over there doing this his whole life was like oh man grizzly there's a brown bear right there and i thought he was messing with me and i turn around and there was you know, a bear the size of a, a Volkswagen Beetle, a big, I mean, a monster boar just looked at us. And at that time, everybody got quiet. The river was running pretty low and you could literally hear that thing walking and chuffing. And it, man, it's just, to me, that was it. Like it touched something inside of me that said, get rid of every effing thing you own and move up into the mountains <laughs> and have a cabin that's heated by wood. And if that don't make you feel alive, I don't know. Oh, it does. I, you know, cause, cause you feel like an ant. You do. That thing's going to come. It don't take much. Cause if you're sleeping in a sleeping bag it, up in the mountains with bears around, you're pretty much a human burrito. No, and we like, did. And we had, we had one mule and a bunch of horses up there and that mule man three or four times on that trip in the middle of the night, you know, made noises that I've never heard an animal make. And you come out there and that mule was pissed off ready to kill a bear and then that's a whole nother level in your brain of man how crazy is it that the senses and the smells and that mule you got four or five horses that are scared shitless trying to you know break you know break rank and and run up run away and then you got a mule that's ready to fight yeah a a 1500 pound bear not 1500 pounds an 800 900 pound bear but it's just cool. It's just really cool. And then you, again, my brain always goes back to, I can't imagine having to watch out for, and I'm going to say Indians because back in the, you know, cowboy and Indian days, yeah. like really you're walking into somebody's territory that you don't really belong in and they will kill you or try to, or harass you. And then you have, that's the tip of the spear. Then you have bears and you have wolves and you then then take it down to the microbiological level of oh man is that water going to give me giardia at 32 years old and i'm going to die because the life expectancy wasn't people always say it was 20 or 28 or 30 people lived to be 80 and 90 years old back then but you had a better chance of dying (laughs) on that path by far than you do now anyway that could be a whole nother episode of getting some of you guys on to talk about just mountain man stuff because i i i will never be a mountain man i'm gonna try um every day i get more in tune with that and want to just disappear more into the mountains and anyway uh, i i got down a rabbit hole there no i love it but man it's great um well it's good to have you on uh we need to do this more often and and really you know, I've talked to you about it and it, when I put things out on a podcast, it's good because people hold me accountable, but you know, the next step for me is finding a bow yep. and then you and I hopefully will be able to get together your work schedule, my work schedule, 
we'll start to get together here over the winter a few times or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really get together when the weather starts warming back up. And, and I, this is, this has become on a very short list of, of, and it's not to be cool. It's again, it's this to me, I want to be more meditative than anything. Oh, it, um, it, I, it's, it, it'll humble you. And it's, that's what I want. You know, I want something that's challenging. I live in a place I'm fortunate enough and blessed enough to live in a place where I can set up my own range on my property right you know where i'm at and 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 practice this every day like you said i have no i literally have no excuse so that's the next step and i'll keep everybody kind of we'll kind of keep updated on this on on social media and stuff but my goal is to by you know this time next year have hunted with i know it's a lofty goal and i'm i'm setting it but i'd like to do a hunt this next year with a a traditional bow heck yeah man it's definitely doable and like I had the goal, was it, I think it was probably 2017. I was when I first got it. And my goal was to kill a bull elk with, with the recurve. And I was close the first three years <laughs> this year, I finally got it done, you know? And so it's definitely, you set them goals and you keep practicing with it and fine tuning the skill and figure out what works best for you. And you, you keep grinding at it. It'll get done. I'm excited. Well, Devin, I, I thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, we got to do this more often. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Um, absolutely, and I appreciate Carrick. Thanks for coming in this morning. I know you're about to hit the road for the Dakotas and and go do your other job. But uh, for all you guys out there, Devin, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure, and excited to see where you go with this, uh, with hunting and your career. Uh, as always, it's a good day to be alive. Don't f it up. And from for Devin and I, say hi to your dogs at home. Yeah, pet them. Yeah. <laughs> good to go.